so hello and welcome to this week's episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week's guest on the podcast is Bob Spatt. Bob has been a long-standing player and umpire in the South Wales Leagues with a career that stretches back over 50 years. I met him at his home in Caerphilly, just a boundary rope throw from the castle. But before I could get to talk to him about his playing days and his umpiring, I had to ask him about that surname. Well, it's, it's, it's unusual as you see it, but it wasn't like that when my father came to this country from Poland after the war. The proper spelling has not got the Z in it. It's S-P-A-D-T. But my father, with that spelling and pronunciation, sounded a bit more German than... Eastern European, so he put the Z in it after he came here to make it sound a bit more Eastern European, so he wouldn't get no problems being, you know, called German and things like that. So it's unique because um, all my family who are now living in Germany, they spell it S P A D T, and it's pronounced Spat is the proper way. Okay, but Spats is the is the common uh, the common pronunciation as people call me. I've seen it spelled numerous different ways, but. The S-Z-P-A-D-T is the, uh, is the main spot. And what made Dad come here after the war? I think it was relocation. From uh, He was in Poland, then the family had to sort of relocate. They went to Germany after the war. don't think he fancied it, so he came to this uh, this country. And settled? Settled in Nelson, where I was born and brought up. Lived there for 32 years before I moved to Caerphilly, where I've been since 1986. Tell us a little bit about your family, your brothers or sisters. i got a brother who lives down in West Wales, Peter. He's got um, the Castle Howell Complex down in Aberoiland. He runs that uh, on a taxi business down in Aberoiland, Pete's Cabs, so people might see him about. A few um, cricketing colleagues who I know down that way, I mention that, and they all say, oh yeah, we've seen his, uh, we've seen his minibus about. Um, he's down there. Uh, my sister lives in Carmarthen. She's a nurse, or semi-retired nurse in Carmarthen and she's been down there for oh, must be the best part of the 30 years that area so both my brothers have moved away sadly my mum passed away last September to Covid uh, my dad passed away uh, 22 years ago now on the 15th of May so he's been gone since the millennium he's passed away in the millennium and were you a sporting family was there lots of sport um, around when you were growing up my father he liked his sport, football, was was the main thing for, for my dad. And because he came to this area, he took me to see Cardiff City. My, my first uh, first game was on the uh, 18th of August, 1962. I remember it well. They played Newcastle United and drew 4-4. And it was a game when Ivor Old Churchman, his debut for Cardiff, having been transferred from Newcastle to Cardiff during that summer. Uh, my mum came down for the first and only time she ever attended a football match. And she wore a Newcastle rosette, which was rather unusual. <laughs> was she from that part of the world? Or was no, she... no, from Nelson. Oh. My, my mother lived in the same street for 92 years. She was born in 45, lived in 55 and moved to number 50 in the whole of a 92-year existence. Early sporting heroes? Do you have any? Well, what age are you looking at? You know, when I was, what, 15, 16, my idol was Toshak with Cardiff. Absolute idolised Toshak. He was just you know, the man at the time. Um, I say my, my first real hero was him. And it was ironic that when I started work, I got friendly with a few boys and um, 
one of the boys said, you know, how do you fancy coming to Anfield to see Liverpool? And I said, yeah, don't mind that at all. And we picked a particular date when the, the, the fixtures come up, because in those days there was no tickets. You just get to Anfield, you turn up and you pay to go in. And the game we actually chose in the August was the game that Toshak made his debut for Liverpool against Coventry in the November. So I seen his debut for Liverpool against Coventry. And then little draw, he didn't score. But um, yeah, but he is my first uh, hero. And when it came to cricket, there was only one then, Gary Sobers. And did you see him play? Um, I was hoping to see him play up in Ebbervale one year because Ebbervale had the, the, the 40 over um, cricket up there. Um, my dad was taking me up and we got um, caught in some traffic. And when we got there, I think Knots had batted first and they were, I don't know, 40 odd for four. And unfortunately, Sobers had been in and out, so I didn't get to see him actually play, which was a massive disappointment because uh, he was just, well, he was everything that, that a cricketer could be. He could bat, he could feel, he could bowl quick, he could bowl spin. What more do you want from a cricketer? He was absolutely brilliant. brilliant. I don't know how unusual that was, but uh, to have a West Indian cricketer as your idol rather than perhaps an English cricketer or, or a yeah, Welsh cricketer. I think it was just the way that he approached the game, the, the way that he batted. He was so flamboyant. Uh, he was so exciting to watch. You know, you didn't have that many type of cricketer about in those days, but he just stood out. And of course, back in the day, all the test matches were on BBC. So you could sit down, you could watch the cricket, you know, five days if you wanted to. And when the West Indies come over, you know, where's all Charlie Griffiths, Glance Gibbs, all the, of that era, they, they were, you know, the main players at the time. But Sobers was the one that stood out for me. He was absolutely fantastic. And in terms of your own sporting career, how did that begin? What were the first sports that you played? Um, like kids of my era you go in the field and you play a bit of football in the winter and then the cricket bat and the ball comes out in the summer and I tended to uh, join in with the boys and took a liking to cricket um, what really got me into cricket was two two things really was every May in, in the cricket season Glamorgan would have a three-day game in Pontypridd Park but living in Nelson Pont was only a few miles down the road so we get on the bus we go out to the, the game on the Saturday and we watch Glamorgan versus whoever they were playing. But one particular game stands out. Uh, it was Sussex and Ted Dexter was batting. Um, and, you know, you're watching him walk out in Ponto Free Park, this famous England cricketer, and there he is walking out literally yards in front of you. And I think he might have got a 10 in that particular game, if I'm not mistaken. But then what really <clears throat> sort of got me well into it was... Back in the day, my dad was a member of a local social club. On every July, they would go to Barry Island, the, the, the buses and the trips. And of course, when you parked up in Barry Island, the cricket ground is, is right by the car park. And because I started playing cricket, and I'd been down to watch Glamorgan a couple of times, I thought, oh, what games are on here? So what I would do, we'd sort of pitch up on, on the beach. I'd walk back across to the ground to see what time this game was starting. And generally, back in the day, you're looking at sort of what would it be early or late 60s, half past two start on a Sunday. And I go across, and they used to charge the Gwyn then in Barry. And I go and watch that cricket until about half past five, then go back to the beach, pick up with my dad, and come back and get on the bus and come back home. But it was a regular occurrence for me to go to, to Barry and watch, uh, watch cricket. And your dad was a convert to cricket? He never. 
wasn't part of his background. He, not really. He would he come along to the occasional game. When I say occasional, I mean occasional. I I picked it up sort of seriously, but no, Dad didn't. Uh, he didn't um, sort of take to it as such. I suppose being Polish, there was no cricket in Poland, so it was something which uh, he just gotten used to with me doing it over here. And playing? Did you play at school? No, we didn't have any any school cricket as such. All my early day cricket was in the sort of uh, in the fields then, basically with uh, the same gang of boys. And in the summer months, in your your seven weeks holidays that we had then, we'd be there for morning, noon, and night, basically. You know, ten o'clock in the morning till it got dark in the night, and it was uh, well, it was a good learning curve because the pitches we played on then, obviously, were just on the football pitch. You just chuck the stumps in and rock up and play and then he got used then to playing on some of the grounds that I played on later the two that uh, cricketers you've mentioned so far uh, Gary Sobers and Ted Dexter yeah. were both all-rounders they both uh, yeah. bowled a bit as well as batted yeah. how did you what we did you how did you see yourself as a cricketer in those early days I just took the batting and bowling um, I enjoyed the both um, I, I like the I like to open the bowling Next to push it through a bit, and like to give it a bit of a, a bit of a tap with the bat in my early days even, and that's how my sort of career went was, basically opening bowler and I bat anywhere from one to eleven, which I did do for my career, and um, yeah, it was you just pick it up, and some boys wanted to be spinners, some boys couldn't bowl. I had a knack I could do the both, and uh, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. It was really good, really good. So, what was your first club? My first club was Hills Plymouth. Uh, a lot of people think it's better than not, but no, Hills Plymouth, I had one year there. The reason I got there was having played in the, the sort of the local sort of grounds and we had a, a boys club team in the village and one of the sort of um, coaches in the boys club, he sort of, he seen something in me and I remember him approaching me sort of in the school holidays and saying, what am I doing on a particular date in August? I said, oh, nothing, why? He said, you've got to try Wiggle Morgan. Oh, that was quite nice. But back in the day, where there was no, sort of like it is today, you've got the whale set up of the boys come through and they go through and, and do this sort of, um, from under 11s, 12s to the Glamorgan Academy. Nothing like that. Uh, my trial was down in um, Sophia Gardens, and I think, uh, if I remember right, I think Graham Kingston was there, an old Glamorgan player, and Kevin Lyons, who I'm friendly with today, with Kevin, the Cardiff Cricket Club. And I remember those two being down there. And you just bowled a couple of balls in the nets to them, and they said, well, look, in that era, they had like club and ground cricket. Well, all those fixtures had finished. So they said, would you like to go to the nets in Neath, starting in um, January? I said, yeah, I'd love to. Well, I was still in school at the time, but I started work then in the January. And my father, in the interview with, with the managing director, said, look, you know, my, my son's got trials of Glamorgan coming up. And he said, that's good. He said, I play cricket myself. He played for Pontypridd. So that was a good starter. And then my dad was taking me down from where I worked in Ridvelling, down to Neath. But in those days, there was no um, Edge of the Valley's Road or any of Glenith Bank Road. It was all the old roads. And it used to take a long while. And we got down there, and then my dad would be sticking around for about two hours, just you know, getting pretty bored, I think. But he sort of find a shorter cut to get to the ground. Uh, he found a shortcut, but then 
the next time we went to Neath, which was only about three or four weeks into my trials down there, he uh, sadly smashed the car up going through a junction and the car hit him, the car was written off and that was the end of my trial with Glamorgan. But what they did say was to go to Hills Plymouth under the guidance of Alvin Harris, who was a former Glamorgan player and he was coaching at Hills Plymouth. Um, that only lasted a season and then a few of my mates played for Bedlinock, played locally, so I decided to go to Bedlinock and I had a really good, what, 15 years of Bedlinock. Um, broke a few records up there, became the first player to score a thousand runs in a season for the club. Uh, it's six sixes in an over against Abercannon, early, early season. Uh, the unfortunate bowler, like people remember Mark and Nash getting clobbered by Sobers, it was John Cole of Abercannon. I haven't seen John for many, many years, but uh, he does uh, get mentioned in dispatches. And my best bowling was a 9 for 27 against Porth. And unfortunately, Porth didn't have a 11th man, so I couldn't take the 10th one. But uh, that was my career best for uh, for anybody, especially for Gunnar. But good days. And the club? What was it? Uh... Um, it was just your typical local village club, as there were many in those days. And sadly, the Bedlinog Club folded about five, six years ago, which was sad in a way, because, you know, when you're part of a club, part of the history, and you see it go completely, and once a cricket club goes, they don't come back. That, that's it. They, they're finished. Uh, I used to, I was umpire, and I used to help them out in, in the midweek. And the beauty of that was my son and my grandson were playing. And my Certainly, I was by Mark. He played for Wales when he was under 13s to 15s under Tom Cartwright. Um, a lot of people said he could have made a, a career out of it, but he decided he wanted to go into mechanics. And he finished up at 16 playing for Wales. He could have gone to Australia in, in the winter. He decided to start his apprenticeship. And, uh, and that was the end of his sort of any potential first class cricket. But uh, he played for. Bedlinog, um, then followed me to Abervale then. When I first started playing with Bedlinog as a 16-year-old, your uncle, Gerald Hedges, was playing. Only played a few games with him. Before I can remember him, he was such an elegant batsman and a lovely, lovely person. But, of course, he was coming towards the end of his playing days and it was the start of my playing days. Uh, our paths did cross now and again over the years, but obviously, sadly, Gerald died a number of years ago. And, and far yeah. too young as well. Right? Only in his sixties, I think. Yeah, that is a young age. Yeah. That is a young age. You see, I, I'm going back here now. The best part of fifty-two years ago, possibly. Yeah, something like that. But um, yeah, very sad. Very, very sad. Gerald suffered from um, uh, the disease that perhaps a lot of families have of having a brother who played first-class cricket. So, however good he was, and I think he was pretty good. Uh, you always suffered from the comparison to my dad, so um, that's the thing with brothers in cricket, isn't it? Or any sport, yeah. If the one boy makes it and the other one doesn't, and, yeah. Um, yeah I, I got a, a funny story. I did an Australian tour inside uh, a couple of years back against Cathedral School, and I was talking to the, one of the Aussie coaches, and he was saying about um, a story that he was telling me about, I think it was the War Brothers. What uh, what he was saying that the third one was playing sort of grade cricket and he wasn't as good as the other two and his bowler was coming and beating the bat all the time 
And he said, are you one of the Ward brothers? He went, yeah. Well, he said, you must have been adopted. <laughs> I don't know if it was Ward. There might have been another pair of Aussie brothers who played. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's so funny the way you said it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you must have been adopted. <laughs> Before we move away, um, we often kind of gloss over these highlights. I want to go back and, and uh, can you talk us through that six sixes? What do you remember of the day and the over and each it's, shot? It's, it's, well, it's, it's pretty vivid, really. Um, I remember I'd been, we've been in the net since January. Uh, I'd been practicing, 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 and the ball's flying through. Well, of course, when you were to play outside then in April time or early May, the wickets are a little bit softer. But um, the first thing I will say is that people know they're better than our ground, as it was. It's not a big ground. Let's get that straight for a start. But this bowler, John, he just kept putting it in short, and I just kept hooking him o- over the river onto the bank in the other side. And I think he can't keep putting the next one there, and he did. And then the next, I thought it's coming to the sixth ball now, a bit five sixes, and I think so. You hooked, hooked the first five. Was the same, all similar shots. There was there was no straight or nothing straight because he was so short. And I thought with the sixth ball, he's bound to put it very wide of the off stump and I started to move across I can remember it and he didn't he put it in the same spot man. right in the same spot it was funny it was so funny I went from I think it was 72 to 108 in the space of an over basically and were there any words exchanged no or? no nothing at all nothing at all John was a lovely chap a lovely bloke there was no uh, no issues at all with that but there's some bowlers yes I think they could uh, they've had a little word in my shell like, oh, there can't be many uh, club cricket sides where people have witnessed a, a six sixes I would have thought I, I've heard of it I've never seen it since all the cricket I played and all the cricket I've played I've never seen it I've seen three or four in over, but not never six but even the first class game where you get to hear about it there's not that many people have done it but um, yeah it was something did you have a keepsake did you keep the ball or uh, no. anything like that no not, I think I lost them all <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find any of the kids. <laughs> um, and the 9-4, do you want to talk us through that? That was a strange one, because when we played in Benelog, they, ch- they turned the, the pitch around, rather than going from sort of north to south, they went from east to west for some reason, the, the council changed around or what. And we played against Porth for many, many years. I still got a very good friend who's connected to Miskin Manor, Rob, uh, Rob Wilkins. We're still really great mates, and I think he played in that. But he must have played in that game, because I keep telling him I got him out. But it was ironic, they only came with 10 men. And it was just one of those days, you know, everything you bowled, every little nick was caught, anything in the air was caught. There was, you know, there was no drop catches or nothing of that nature. But then I can remember one of our spectators, basically, if we were short, he'd play for us. He offered to go out as the 11th man. And they said, oh, you can't really do that. If you were said at the start, you're going to play because they short, then fair enough. You can't just do it me to get my 10th wicket I fully appreciated that I'm not saying I would have got it but um. so uh, we finished with Bedlinog and then yep. moved to Ebervale um, how, how did all that come about one of my mates who kept wicket in Bedlinog Rob Jones um, he moved over to Tredegar area and he went to play for Ebervale so he got in touch with me and he said look he said I played with you long enough he said I think you should give it a crack over there he says it's a better standard of cricket. You play on much better grounds than what you do in the in the more gallery. And um, you should be, you know, give it a crack. So I thought, great. I knew the Ebervale ground because I'd been there with to watch 
Gary Sobers, but I didn't get to see him. And I thought, oh, it's a nice ground. And I went across there. And um, I remember playing against the likes of Bridgend, Radha, um, Ponapreeth, Tondi, Tondi, Eberville and Tondi boys got on so well. It was absolutely brilliant playing against those boys. And it's, again, to this day, I still got friends in Tondi, Clive Holmes and the likes of, who's, you know, renowned in this area for cricket. He's really top bloke. But, yeah, it was really good. It was um, a funny, well, it was funny to me. When I was back in the early days of Eberville, one or two of the boys, they made a comment and said, your technique is a little bit different. I said, what are you talking about? I said, when you're coming forward to play defensive shot, as you're about to play the shot, your head moves away from the ball. They said, why are you doing that? I said, well, when you've been brought up on Morgano Glee wickets, like Poncana Fields and Landeff, when that ball pitches on the length, you do not know where it's going. And more often than not, it's coming up at your head, so you ought to get your head out of the way. Well, of course, on the track in Eberville, it was like a road. So my technique then improved because you're playing on better wickets. You can get behind the line of the ball better. But, um, yeah, that was my little twitch in my head, just just in case the uh, the ball did happen to uh, rear up at me. Some good times. And characters in the team, are you, can, are you able to share yeah. any stories? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you all got characters, and they all got different sort of um, traits and different things that they do, uh, different personalities and sense of humours. But um, we had one of the boys who was um, not very partial to tomatoes, so we used to... Uh, Tease him with tomatoes and put him in his boots on tour and things like that. The name was Mark Thomas. He was a bit of a character. Um, Jason White, who I met last Saturday, one of the best bats I ever played cricket with. And I think a lot of people would vouch for that because Jason was top, top quality. Um, he was a character. Chris Marley, who's now living up in Manchester, I think. He was a, another absolute uh, crackpot in the show. Where you just, you know, don't close your eyes when you're sort of putting shampoo on your head because he would just chuck buckets full over you. <laughs> Yeah, there were some really good uh, good blokes around and had a really good time up there. Sadly, there's a couple no longer with us. Richard Nancaro sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Richard, uh, he owned Morgan's books for a while. Uh, hell of a nice lad. Sadly, no longer with us. Uh, You've mentioned that, like a lot of club cricketers, helping out with umpiring, either kind of on a Saturday or kind of on a day when you weren't playing or whatever. Um, was there something in umpiring that suddenly kind of appealed to you? Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you were just out there in the middle and you were still involved in the game. Otherwise, you go and sit down and they'll ask you a score for 10 overs or you just sat down walking on the ground aimlessly and I'm thinking, no, let's go and do a little bit of umpiring because I enjoy doing it as well. And it's sort of... I can't quite remember the actual time I thought to myself, oh, when I finish, I'll, I'll, I'll go umpiring. But I was always interested in doing it at the club level. And then I thought, well, I might as well go and do the course. We had no intention of finishing playing cricket and going into umpiring. But um, the course, the courses in those days were over like 12 weeks on a Monday night from January, February and March. And it was in St Fagans. And yeah, I'd done the course. I, I passed the exams. Um, and then I was going to play for the Wales over 50s team went to a couple of net sessions and I got picked to play in a friendly down in Skewin and I went down there it was like early very early May I think it was and I had a problem on my shoulder I went to see a, a physio and he said if you've got a problem with your rotator cuff just be a little bit careful 
make sure you warm it before you start to let it go. Which I did, but unfortunately in the second over of my Wales over 50s debut, I tore my rotate the cuff. And as a bowler, that, that's the end of it. You, you're finished. But luckily, because I had done the exams in the winter, I was automatically qualified to umpire from the following Saturday. So I got in touch then with the then appointments officer and I um, started umpiring the following Saturday. And in those days, they'd have a book, they'd have your handbook, and all the appointments had been done for the whole season. So I would just fit in as and when umpires had dropped out, and they would put me in as and when uh, they felt fit. Well, every Saturday for starters. But in those days, you would spare umpires as well, which is unusual. There may be a few ignorant club cricketers who say all you need to do as an umpire is count to six and put your finger up every now and again. Um, tell us a little bit about the training course and, and what what was involved with kind of learning the kind of process of, of being an umpire. Well, when I did my exams, it wasn't so much like a training thing. It was questions and what have you. But it's changed so much now that you do go on courses and they've got sort of video slips and... Uh, video slides and clips and this, that and the other. And you, you, somebody said to me, how do we become a better umpire? Well, the category, categories you get marked on in the Premier League are appearance, you can tell somebody to sharpen up their appearance, attitude, you can temper Tony attitude down, um, time awareness, you can, all those things you can help them on. But decision making, you can't. It's your decision, you make it. I can't see if the boundary that was out or that wasn't out. I'm not in the middle with you. If I stood behind you, I could. So it's difficult. You've just got to judge it yourself. But of course, with the training you get, they do sort of fine-tune you into what to look for, where the ball is pitching, where the batsman's leg is, when the ball hits the... Not a case of because it's going on with the stumps, it's out. It's, no, it doesn't quite work like that, especially if it's foot or the line of the stumps. But people don't see it like that. And of course... The club cricketers these days, when they hit on the pads, they never out. When they hit the pads, everybody's out. But no, it, it doesn't quite work like that. It's uh, you, you've got to go to you've got to go a lot of experience. I think to get the, the more experience you get, the better you become generally. Then um, some people learn quicker than others. It's, yeah, it's, I wouldn't swap it. I wouldn't swap what I'm doing. Tell us a little bit about how the umpiring career developed then from that uh, kind of initial kind of stepping in after you'd had that well, unfortunate that kind of it. injury. Thought, well, I'm doing league cricket now, so I think I was on the local league year in, in the South East Wales for, I think it was four years, and I was invited to go on to the Premier League panel, which in those days was just one division of the Premier League, and I think there was about 16 of us on there. Luckily then, two divisions came in, so we got two panels for that. But I went on to that, say, I think it was 2012, I joined that. And a couple of years later, I was going to go and watch the Welsh Cup final in Cardiff, uh, supporting my two colleagues, uh, Mike Holcomb and Lynn Hall, who were doing the final that year. It was Pantague versus Landerno. And in the morning, about 8 o'clock, I had a phone call um, saying, are you going to watch the Welsh Cup final today? I said, yeah. He said, well, take your kit, you're not buying it. Because Mike Hall come out to drop out. So I was asked to do the West Cup final. And yeah, I did that. And it was fantastic. Um, say Pantague, Landerno. Uh, I think Pantague won it quite comfortable. I think it was nine wickets or something. But it was still an experience on Safari Gardens. It was 
it was a great day, really, really enjoyable day. And then since then, I've, um, I think I've done about three, the Premier League T20 finals day. I've done about three of them over the years um, at Savoy Gardens, and they are, they are really, uh, really good days there. Really good, really good. You want to tell us a little bit about how umpiring is organised in Wales? Uh, we got Wales ACO, Association of Cricket Officials. Um, I'm the appointments officer for that organisation. I have been for the last, I guess, six years. Uh, a lot of work involved because I appoint to the South Wales Premier League, South East Wales Cricket League, Welsh Cup, British Cup, um, Youth Bucks University Games, Cricket Wales Junior Games, which is quite a lot of now with the restructure of Cricket Wales. Uh, it's a lot of work from, I would say, early March until middle of September. There's a bit of a breather then. But uh, and When you're appointing, um, you already talked about perhaps what can make a good umpire. What are you looking for um, uh, 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 as an appointment officer in a, in a prospective umpire to, to umpire come some serious club cricket? The, the serious stuff will come later on after you've done a couple of years at the, at the lower level stuff. But it's like anything with a player. You could have ten players in a hall watching practice and you can just think, hang on, there's two or three of them, they look quite good, three or four look okay and two or three need a bit of attention. It's the same with umpiring. You stand with somebody or a colleague will stand with someone and they'll go and tell you what, he's got it, he just, he's got the part. Others will say, mm, he needs a lot of, lot of work. Yeah, it's, you can't sort of just magic an umpire. It, it does take a little bit of uh, bit of hard work on both sides, on the training side of things and on the individual side of things as well. Do you know how many games you've umpired? Oh, gosh. Um, I've been doing it 15 years. I must do on average 35, 40 games a season. Is that 600, 650 games perhaps? Yeah, yeah, sure to be that, sure to be. And your approach on a on a match day, do you begin thinking about the job as soon as you arrive at the ground? Are you looking at the conditions and the pitch and you see, I start thinking about my next game after I've done my last game. If I got a game on a Saturday and a Sunday, yeah, okay, you, you've got the two games in mind. But once you sort of um, you finish a game on a Saturday, you're thinking, right, what have I got tomorrow? It could be Welsh Cup, it could be Village Cup, it could be a junior game, you know, it could be a number of different competitions you start concentrating on that it's, it's no good thinking of it too far in advance it's, it's pretty pointless that is but then you contact your colleagues on a Thursday like what are we wearing in white kit or are we wearing coloured kit that's a new innovation in the recent years compared to the previous years and make sure you've got the same kit you don't turn up one with coloured and one with white it looks a bit silly um, but yeah you do you've got to prepare sort of mentally I suppose well I'm thinking I'm, I'm away now this week I've got a week's holiday but my next game is a week next Saturday in Newport Progen. But already I'm thinking of that game. Don't do much preparation until the last day or two. Check with your colleague, make sure your kit's already and what have you, and then just go and do the game, basically. Enjoy it the best you can. Umpiring at an international level has, has changed dramatically in the last few years with the introduction of technology to, to assist the whole process. And that has undoubtedly affected the relationship, I think, between players and umpires. Even though that technology isn't available necessarily in the games that you're umpiring, do you think the relationship between umpires and players has still changed a bit? The players kind of expect more from you, uh, or well, 
we have the little crackdown again where you know you might not give or you might give a run out or something and the, the player can pass and go will that have gone upstairs up yeah it might have you know but they just accept it we've only got one chance we get it right most of the times we do get it wrong occasionally but same with players do players get it right every week no do they get ducks yeah so they're the same as us they make mistakes just the same as we do so you know they can't beat about this because they don't do the same themselves and by and large, players' attitude sometimes is pretty good. Get on well with the players. Yeah. I like to think I am a players' umpire. I like to mix with players. I like to have a laugh and a joke with them. But they got to know where the line is. You don't cross it. And likewise with me, if I can see a player doesn't want to you know, join in conversation, that's fine. I'll stay stone. But I think it's nice to get to know the players and the players to get to know you. I want to ask you about your highlights of, of your umpiring career, but I think we just in the last couple of weeks had a real highlight. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened? Well, um, prior prior to that, I um, last year it was a, a nice highlight. I was asked to do the Village Cup semi-final between Nayland and Albany in Nayland. Uh, I went down there to do that, and that was a real sort of nice highlight. And a little taster to what you were just alluded to. Um, Lovely yeah. club, Nayland. Great club. club. Really good club. They've got a fantastic facility down there. Absolutely brilliant facility, Nayland. Uh, made more than welcome down there. And uh, it was a really, really nice day. Unfortunately for Nayland, they lost. But um, somebody's got to lose in the semi-final. But it was a brilliant day. Really, really good day. Uh, another highlight was... Well, four or five years ago, I was asked to do the Wales over 50s against Australia one day international. It was the first one day international in Wales. Uh, I had the privilege of doing that. It was in Newport Fugitives. And when you talk of games which you know are close finishes, this one couldn't have been closer. It went down to the last ball of the game. Wales nine wickets down and wanting one to win. So anything could have happened and Wales won. They had a four for last ball. They won by one wicket. But I must have had a good game that day because a funny thing, after the game, we were having a couple of beers with the Australian boys. They were a great bunch of boys. And the opening bowler, not from my end, he was from the, the opposite end, he said to me, did you see the last hour up? Did you enjoy that? I said, I'd been out there since 11 o'clock this morning. Of course I enjoyed it. He didn't recognise me in my normal clothing and I was down the other end, but... Yeah, so I couldn't have done too badly if he hadn't <laughs> recognised me all day. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, but about a couple of years ago, I had a phone call from Cricket Wales saying, um, for what I've done for cricket in Wales, with my efforts with Wales ACO, etc., etc., would I like to umpire the MCC Wales game at Lords? So, obviously, it took me all of about a second to say yes. But... That was just before Christmas, um, 2020. Fantastic Christmas present. But of course, in 2020, in March, along came COVID. So it put pay to it. Then I was invited to do again the following year, they promised, and again, COVID. But a few weeks ago, 14th of April, I got my, um, my chance to go to Lords. It was an unbelievable experience from when we got on the train on the Wednesday when we come back late on the Friday night everything was perfect on the day at Lord's itself it's just something you cannot describe to anybody you've got to experience it yourself 
because there's so many things to, that they do you just couldn't remember it all and you try and take it all in and yes you can you, you can have photographs but the actual day itself and the, the, one of the nicest things was when you walk up and you see a name on the scoreboard you know from the big lord scoreboard you're thinking wow that's that's something special and fortunately fortunately my colleague on that day was a Premier League umpiring colleague, uh, Kerry Evans, who this year has got on the Minor Counties panel, or the National panel, as it's called now. So it was brilliant umpire with Kerry, somebody that you knew interested, and it does make a bit of a difference. And it was fantastic. My wife came up, my daughter lives in London, she came to watch the game as well. And then we had a meal in the night to celebrate, the three of us, it was really good. My son couldn't make it, unfortunately, due to work commitments. But, um, yeah, that was a day which will never be beaten, in all fairness. It was just one of those fantastic days. And, uh, and even the wife enjoyed it, and she doesn't understand cricket at all. <laughs> but it was really good. And any really particular good. things stick in your mind from the day? You've mentioned the scoreboard, which must be lovely. But yeah, anything fantastic. else? Um, of, of the game itself, um, Paul Sterling played for the MCC that day, and... We did play right on the edge of the square over the, I think it was the Warner stand, or the, the Mount stand, sorry. And he put Brad Wadlin right over the top of the, um, the, the the roof of the stand, which, okay, the, I know the boundary was short, but the height was huge. But Brad had his revenge, two balls later, and he bowled him. But, um, yeah, that was that was good. And just with umpiring with the boys, we went by in the Premier League on a Saturday. There was like six or seven boys who I knew from the Premier League which that does help as well when you're at Lords and you've got all these boys with you, people you know, and you can have a laugh with them. And yeah, and even there were three or four boys, three from North Wales, one from West Wales. And that was ironic because I uh, got on really well with those. We spent the night before together in the hotel and it was, it was really good. It was a brilliant day from start to finish. And I'd love to go back, but you know, I've done my share. So I'm, I'm quite happy with what I've, uh, what I've done on that. It's fantastic. And have you got anything um, to remember the day by? I mean, obviously there's photographs. And... What I'm wearing here, they give me the night before, sort oh, of cool. uh, yeah. commemorate that. Um, but basically, that, that's it. It's, it's just memories and photographs. Um, it's a fantastic uh, experience. If anybody you know, ever gets a chance to go there, then as a player as well, there was there was players talking to players, and lots of players. Their first time at Lords. So not many I spoke to said, oh yeah, I played here a few times before. So it was a brilliant day for them. I was very, very conscious of hopefully not giving somebody out the wrong decision. You know, inside edge onto a pad or something, you give them out and you ruin their day at Lords. But luckily, that, that didn't happen. So um, no, they, uh, they were really good. Fantastic day. This isn't the end of the road for you. Are you oh, clearly still very active and involved with the umpiring? Yeah. What's happening? What's to come for you now? Well, um, I'm hopefully, I'm hopefully, I'd like to think I can go to South Africa in March of next year for the Over 50s World Cup. And as appointments office, obviously that role continues and that that's... Uh, yeah, keep yes. You, keep it's, you busy and... Oh, it's, it's every, every morning I'm up early-ish, six o'clock, half past six, doing this. There's always something. I've got look at my emails after now since you've been talking, there'll be... Maybe two or three emails have come through regarding um, games not being played or somebody wants to play for a game for next week. Or 
Yeah, something going, going. And then you're straight on the phone and Oh, yeah. Well, the system we got, it's a very, very good system. It's, it's all computerized. Just sometimes you've got to make the phone calls or send an email. And, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a very busy year, very busy time of the year. And especially going to wait now next week. It'll be really busy. So, um, yeah, I'll catch up. I'll catch up with that. Looking back now over your cricket's career, both as a player and as an umpire, mm-hmm. Just from chatting to you, it's clearly given you so many great uh, memories. Um, do you have any uh, either abiding memories of, of, of all of that experience in cricket? Or what is it you take from, from your life in cricket, really? Um, friendship. A number of people I've met through cricket over the years, and even people now I met 40, 50 years ago, Still, some of those people are still involved with cricket these days, and you go to different grounds and you look forward to seeing these people. Uh, and then even the newer friends over the last say 15, 20 years. And another sort of piece of satisfaction is that when you do the Wales age group games, the boys come up from 12s, 13s, 15s, 18s, Glamorgan Academy, and then they get contracts with Glamorgan. And there's about five or six of the Glamorgan boys on contract now. They've umpired when they were youngsters coming through. And I do the occasional Glamorgan pre-season game. And it's just nice to go out on the same pitch as them. And you've seen them come through and they've reached the pinnacle of their career. They're playing county cricket. And then if they don't play for Glamorgan, perhaps on, on a weekend, they play for the uh, their clubs on the weekend. So it's, it's nice to have them back in the environment where they sort of more or less started from. But yeah, I think that this the friendship is the um, is one abiding sort of thing which would always be with me for my uh, my cricketing career. Yeah, and it must be lovely to have both your son, who's uh, gone on to play, um, and your grandchildren now who yeah. may may be players in well, the future. The, the, the two young grandchildren, I, I, the the one's only four and a half, but I think this Friday he's up in Penturk in this. Uh, the Dynamos or the little the, the junior the cricket as they start the All Stars. He's up there with that starting this week. Okay, he's a little bit young, but get him into it as young as you can, and hopefully he'll, uh, he'll progress and play like I did, like his dad did. My youngest son, he, he finished playing cricket a few years back, but then he, he took up the coaching mantle, and he was coaching um, one of the Gwent sides, the under 11s and um, Dean Koska's son and Mark Wallace's son was playing for him. And they had a, a couple of good seasons with those boys, but uh, sadly he finished coaching a couple of years ago, with a family coming along and growing. It's, uh, to try and fit it all in, it's pretty much impossible. So unfortunately, he's no longer involved. The Spat name won't be on any scorecards, uh, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it's been a, a great experience, and I just loved every minute of it. You know. And, even in the cold, freezing days, like I was in Newport a few weeks ago with five layers and a bob lap and a pair of pyjama bottoms on underneath <laughs> to keep me warm. It was still an enjoyable day doing the universities. It's, uh, yes, if it's in your blood, it's in your blood. It's, it's always going to be there. Definitely. Bob, thank you ever so much for giving us your time this morning. Absolute too. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Okay. I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. Many thanks to Bob for sharing his memories with us. The podcast is taking a bit of a mid-season break, so there won't be another episode until June the 24th. However, we've already recorded interviews with Dean Conway, Sean Holly, and the old boys and others at Landovery College. 
so you can guarantee that when we join you again, we'll have plenty of stories about the great game of cricket from the great country of Wales. Hoyvar, bye for now. Story you have Nigadani. Macrosic Gisilti. A bossuch MWC pod nineteen twenty one at gmail dot com. Nate, Elchintidal in Facebook, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast. Nay, Intidal in Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email MWC pod nineteen twenty one at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.